0: Anyway, praise the Lord. It's good to be here tonight. We're going, to, uh, we're going to talk about some things out of the book of Proverbs tonight. Uh, we're going to look at some of these things, and I, I want us to be aware of what this says. And I, I think, uh, uh, in fact, I've titled this teaching out of Proverbs 12 and 13, Things That Will Allow the Devil or Evil to Come to You, because this is things God is telling us. Things that will open the door to the enemy to attack you. And so, you know, when you learn that if the Lord tells you not to go here, you know, it's kind of like they teach you don't drive past the speed limit out there so you don't get a speeding ticket, right, Deborah? Now, if you don't know that, you might just go out there and drive fast you wanted to, and then some police officer comes up and says, Hey, where are you going? Why are you in such a hurry? Well, I'm not in a hurry. I'm just driving you, but you were driving 80 well, Mount Carmel cruise is real nice at 80. No problem. He said, yeah, but the speed limit right here is 50. And so, therefore, it's only going to cost you $500 to learn. And I don't like to learn like that. You know, so. But there's too many things in the kingdom that we also have learned like that. You know, we have not realized what the Lord likes and what he doesn't like. And so uh, I've come to realize these things. Of course, I didn't know these things either for many, many, many years of my life. And I didn't know what opened the door to the enemy. But as I read the word, of course, this is not just in the book of Proverbs. It's all over the book. So anyway, we're just going to cover a few little places tonight uh, in in an hour and a half or so of Bible study. So we're going to talk about things that will allow the devil or evil to come to you to cause problems with you. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises. And I thank you for your instruction manual that you've given us, Lord, to tell us what you like and what you don't like. And, Lord, those things that you don't like, we, want to, we do not like those either, and we don't want to go there. We don't want to do those things. So we want to do the things that you like so that we can be blessed. And, Father, I thank you that you've given us this mighty owner's manual And revealed it to us in such a wonderful way. Now, Father, open our understanding to your word as we read it and discuss it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay, I'm going to start out at uh, verse 21. Not going to start out at the beginning of Proverbs 12, but at verse 21, he says, No grave trouble will overtake the righteous. So, uh, 12, yeah, chapter 12, verse 21, and uh, I don't even remember which translation I got this out of when I made this outline, but uh, uh, I don't know whether I was getting this out of the Living Bible, the NLT, or the King James, but it probably was the Living Bible. It, it looks like it, that Proverbs twelve twenty-one: no grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. Is that what it says in your book? No, I've got a, a, a different translation. It's a modern translation. But it says that curses chase sinners while blessings chase the righteous. Okay, so it says the same thing. It says the same thing. It just, you know, is a different translation. Now then, if, if no grave trouble will overtake the righteous then I think we ought to dwell on being righteous, don't you? And it's kind of like, you know, like I've made the comment many times, uh, driving down the road in your car, when you come down here, if you obey the speed laws and watch the signs, you don't never have to worry about getting stopped, as long as you're obeying the signs, you know. And like I've told some of you all, and of course, uh, the other day, my associate pastor and I, we was driving through a little country town well in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's a little tiny town. I bet it don't have 200 people in that town. And we're driving along there 55 miles an hour, and all of a sudden it said 45. We saw that. We slowed down to about 45. Now, we were driving along there, and all of a sudden we were talking about Jesus. We were just having a ball talking about Jesus. I mean, we were driving along in his car, and all of a sudden we see, or he says, Hey, there's a guy behind me with lights flashing. And red and blue and all that stuff. So he said he must want to pass. So he pulled over, and the guy pulled over with us. And we thought, Thurman, were we speeding? I said, well, I don't think so, but I wasn't driving, so I wasn't looking at the speedometer. But I said, when we come into town, we slowed down. And the guy came up there, and he says, uh, what happened? He said, well, you guys were speeding. He said, we thought we were obeying the law. He said, well, you were until you come to the school zone. Oh, he said, I didn't see the school zone. He said, but it was back there. And there was a sign that said, from this time to this time, there's a school zone. And said, you guys were going 15 miles an hour too fast. Oh, man. He said, we were, he said both of us are pastors, and we were just talking about Jesus. The guy says, well, I'm a chaplain myself. But he said, I'm also a police officer. And he said, I don't want to do this, but if it wasn't in a school zone, I'd let you guys go. But he said, since it was in a school zone, i got to write you a ticket. And that ticket cost our associate pastor $200. You know, $200. So anyway, when you disobey the rules, you get stopped. It makes no difference who you are. You can be a pastor, and still, if you're breaking the law, you get caught. And you have to pay the price. So the Lord says here... That no grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked. Now, we can be wicked any time we disobey God's rules. We become wicked. Now, that's where we fail to understand this. We think that the wicked is that God's out there killing, murdering, and all that stuff. That couldn't be us. I mean, we as born-again Christians, we could not be wicked, could we? Oh, yeah, you can. You can be wicked. I mean, you know, if you hang around most Christians long enough or... Unfortunately, if you hang around every Christian i ever known long enough, you're going to run into one and see a time when they're going to be wicked. Oh, you even agree with that, do you, You've seen a few Christians wicked too, huh? You've been there. That's like uh, Cheryl. She's not here yet. Her and Ayesha went shopping uh, to get a bunch of stuff for the ministry center or paper and a bunch of stuff, and uh, I expect them any minute. I figured they'd be here before it started, but they're not here yet, but they will be in a few minutes. Cheryl said, She used to be out there in her congregation. She'd look up here and she'd say, I wonder what it would be like to be married to a perfect man, a preacher. And then the Lord brought her to me and we got married. And she found out I wasn't perfect. (laughs) Just because we're preachers don't mean we're perfect. yet. but we're working on it, right, brother? We're working on it. And that's the thing. At least we are working diligently to get there. But she found out. She only saw the one side of me here, and she thought I was perfect, but she found out I'm out there, a man out there, trying to work out my salvation daily, just like all the rest of you. Every day, with fear and trembling, I'm trying to walk in obedience to God's word. Now then, verse 22 says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Now, can a Christian lie? Oh, yeah. We can do a good job. Now then, If you lie, does God like it? No, he said he didn't. He said, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. So you think he likes it when we do things right? Of course. And so as we do those, those are the delight of the Lord. So as Christians, we should deal truthfully with everybody all the time. When we do, God is pleased with you. And so when you come and ask him for something, then what will he do? He'll answer your prayer. You'll get to see him as long as you're obedient to serve him and do what he says and do what he likes. Then when you ask him something in faith, he will answer your prayers. And you'll get to see the king do great and mighty things. And I love to see him do these wonderful things. Then in verse 23, it says, A prudent man conceals knowledge. But the heart of fools proclaim foolishness. I mean, it's amazing that we, evening young lady, a prudent man (laughs) conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaim foolishness. I've seen a lot of foolishness even in the church, haven't you? Yes, I really have. And I, I, I really do see these things. And I really think that Like we talked about here a while back, that the Lord over in Ephesians, he says that these are the things I don't like. He said, number one, is fornication. So we know that sex outside of wedlock, he don't like. And then he says, covetousness and uncleanness, I don't like. But he says, don't let this be found among you, not even one time. And then he goes on and say, and also... No foolish talking or no jesting. No coarse joking or no foolish talking or jesting. Well, how many people in the church do you know that do that? I mean, yeah, we we would know if we walked up to a sister in church and propositioned them to have sex with them. We know that would be a sin. But to walk up to one of them and tell a little coarse joke that you saw or you think, that's not anything. But God put those in the same category. He put them in the same sentence. And He said, Don't let none of this be found to wrong you one time. Well, how many people do that? Lots of people. And you, know, you wouldn't think about talking about some of these things, you know, in church, but to tell a joke or to talk about some of these things, uh, a little foolish talking or a little coarse joking or things like that, you think, you know, Thurman, you're going over the edge. You're gone too far. But let me tell you, if you want to please God and you want to see him answer your prayers, you've got to do it his way, not yours. You can say, oh, well, Thurman, you're going a little too far. This little, a little coarse joking. God has a sense of humor. He doesn't mind if I tell a preacher joke or an Aggie joke or that kind of stuff. He doesn't mind, but he does. He does. And he says, don't do it. So you go out there and say, well, I, God don't like it. I mean, God doesn't mind. I mean, so I'll tell my Aggie jokes or I'll tell my preacher jokes and we'll all get a big laugh about you. Well, let me tell you what. You ain't going to heal a sick. You ain't going to see God do some miracles for you. You may see a few little things, but you're not going to see him do no miracles for you. If you want to, do, you want to see God do awesome things for you, you've got to obey everything in his word. Not just one or two little things. And I love to see him do these mighty things. I love to, when I have a need, and you have a muscle call too, I know. I pray with you, and I know you pray a lot for yourself. But you love to get your prayers answered, don't you, Deborah? Absolutely. It's worth doing what the king says, isn't it? Absolutely. Now then it says, that in verse 24, it says, The hand of the diligent will rule. But the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Now then, think about the people that are diligent. I mean, how many people do you know that get up in the morning and they get to work late? You know, or if the job starts at 7, I don't want that job. I want one that starts at 9. And I don't want one that goes till 6 in the afternoon. I want one that quits at 4. You know? They're a little bit lazy. And when they're on the job, they're not diligent. They're kind of standing at the water fountain more than they should or drinking their coffee longer or going outside and smoking their cigarette. And all the time, the boss is watching all this because he's paying. Now, if he's the owner, he's really paying. If it's a big company, it may not be quite so bad but that it may not be noticed. But usually, if you've got good managers, they will watch you and they know what you're doing, and I can I can remember when I used to work for a large corporation, we would have a managers meeting in one of the places every year, and I was a regional engineer, so I got invited to all these things for the staff, the the vice presidents and and uh, uh, general managers and everything were, and so we'd go to these meetings. It used to be two or three days, and we'd talk about who in your area is ready for promotion. In other words, I need another assistant manager in another location who has a great person that you think would be a great assistant manager. And maybe one or two of the general managers say, I got two people in my operation that are exceptional. I mean, they come in early, they work late, and it makes them what the problems are. They get them done. You can put your life on the line for Susie or Bob Either one of them would make a great man to the VP writes those names down. And then later, Bob or Susie gets a call. And they're invited to the VP's office, and he brings them in and talks to them a little while. And after he talks to them, Susie or Bob gets a promotion and leaves and gets sent to another city and gets a new position. Why? Because they were diligent. Now, the rest of them, some of them, they come in, they work, do a mediocre job. And they're okay they're good employees but they're not diligent they're just normal and that's not that won't get it done not if you really want to get their promotions you got to be diligent now that if you're diligent like the company i worked for for so many years i didn't know i had been taught at home to be diligent to work and and do a good job and so in the process of this when i went to work as an engineer for this corporation I went in there 90 miles an hour, just like I was taking over. I mean, you know, I worked. And I mean, I come in early and I went home late. And you know, I mean, I was a salaried person too. I I could have went home, come in at 8, and I could have went home at 5. They they didn't require any more. But I may come in at 6 or 7 and stay till 7 or 8 or 9 at night. If I had problems, I stayed. And I would make sure that those problems were taken care of. And if they needed something in Chicago tomorrow, I may get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, go out to the airport, and I may be in the operation at 8 or 9 o'clock in Chicago. You know, and so I, I, that's the way I run my business. So every year, I work for that corporation for a many a year. And every year when I got my review... Every VP for that corporation that ever rated me, I never had a single thing on my rating that was not outstanding. There was five blocks they could have chose, but everything was on the far right. Outstanding. Hey, and then the increases, if they was able to give a 10% increase that year, guess who got a 10% increase? If the maximum was eight, guess who got an eight? I did. Every year, I got the maximum increase every year I worked for that company because I was diligent. It didn't make any difference if they were watching me or not. I didn't take two days to do a two-hour job. I didn't care if they were there or not. If they had a 2J job, I would try to do it in two hours, you know, and then go tell them I got something. I was diligent, and it paid off. It really paid off. Now, the Lord says here that the diligent, the hand of the diligent will rule. Now then, if he says the hand of the diligent will rule, let me tell you, the hand of the diligent is going to rule. It doesn't make it if what we believe, but it says, but the lazy men will be put to forced labor. When you have somebody working for you, if they're a lazy person, do you want to keep those people or you want to get somebody else? I want to get somebody else. I don't want somebody that's not going to work. I want somebody that knows they're working for Jesus. And that they're accountable to Him. When you get a man or a woman, and they know they're accountable to the King, they will do a good job because they realize. Just like you take you take Colossians three twenty three. That scripture says, "Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as unto the Lord, and not unto man," because it says God will be the one that will give you your final reward. Colossians 3.23. Now then, if he said whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, then that doesn't just mean what you do at church, does it? That means wherever you work, whatever you do, do a good job. I mean, if you're a painter, be the best painter there is. If you're a sheetrock man, be the best sheetrock man, don't be a sloppy one. If you're a police officer, be the best one you can be. You know, because he's going to reward you accordingly. And he's with you every day. He knows exactly what kind of job you're doing. He knows every word that comes out of your mouth. He knows everything. You can't do nothing in secret to God. He knows your heart. But he says, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy men will be put to forced labor. You don't want to be a lazy person. Because if you do, you'll be put to forced labor. Just think, there's a lot of men out there today, men and women, that are lazy and slothful and wonder why they cannot get ahead. Guess who's in control? God is. And those men that are not diligent, that are not serving God, that are not about His business, and they're not tithing, not going to church, they're never going to be blessed. Some people said, I know people that don't go to church make a lot of money. Yeah, but Malachi 2 says, God says, even in your blessings will I curse you if you do not obey me. So just think, what if you had a nice little empire built up and you had children and everything and everything appeared to be going quite well and all of a sudden... Everything in your world fell apart. I mean, your children got sick, or your husband died, or whatever. You know? I mean, you can be cursed in the middle of it, but you've got to be an obedient child to serve God because He's in control. He knows what He's doing. And so I don't want to be one of those that's put to forced labor. I don't mind working hard, but I don't want to be put to forced labor. That's two different things. I don't want to be out there, you know. I mean, I don't mind going on a job and working hard and 16 hours a day. I can do that. But I don't want to be down there in prison with a sledgehammer crushing rocks. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be put to forced labor. It says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. What? Anxiety? Causes depression. How many people do you know are anxious? See? We've had some things. That's, uh, been I've been wanting certain things to happen recently. But I told Dave today, I said, I'm not getting anxious about this. I'm not going there at all. I'm not going to get anxious because the Lord told me to cast all my cares on him. So I'm not going to get depressed over this thing. You know, when it happens, it happens. I'm not going to get anxious about it. Somebody says, I can't wait. I can't wait till this happens, or I can't wait till I get that new house. Oh, I can't wait till I get that new house or that new car or whatever it is. You're anxious. Well don't be. Don't be. Just trust God and wait. When it's time for you to get it, you'll get it. You know. In the meantime, if if you get into this anxiety, it says anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. I don't want to be depressed, do you, Janet? No. I don't want to be depressed. So If he says anxiety causes it, then don't go there. It says, but a good word makes it glad. A good word. Does it help when somebody walks up to you and says a good word to you? Yes, it does. A good word makes it glad. So, it says the righteous. Listen to this one. The righteous. Now then, are you and me as Christians supposed to be righteous? Yes, so he's talking to you and me. He says, the righteous should choose their friends carefully. You know that's a fact, don't you? I mean, you did, I mean, even as the righteous, you have to be careful what Christian you choose as your friend. Some of them will take you down. People that say they're Christians will take you down. So you need to choose your friends carefully. Very carefully. You need to make sure. When you start talking to someone before you befriend them, you want to find out are you a spirit filled Christian? Do you go to church? Do you believe in the Holy Ghost? Do you believe that He can do wonderful things? Do you believe God answers prayer? Do you believe God still does miracles today? Do you believe God still does exactly what he says in his word. And if they say, Well, I don't know, I never read the Bible. Ooh, you don't want to make them a very close friend. You might talk to them kind of, you might, you know, every once in a while say, Hey, why don't you, let's get together for 30 minutes tonight and read and study the Bible together. That's the way you want to befriend those kind of people. You don't want to, they say, No, no, no. Instead of studying the Bible tonight, let's go downtown to my favorite restaurant and eat out tonight. And you might say, Well, okay. And you go down and find out it's a bar. Yeah, you know, it's a bar, you know, and there's dancing and singing and all kinds of singing going on around there, and it's their favorite place to hang out. That's not the kind of Christian friend you want to have, is it? No, no. Next time you say, "Okay, we had dinner, but next time we're going to do it my way," let's come home and read the Bible for an hour before we go somewhere. Yeah, see. So, because if we got Christian friends, we need to teach them how to be better Christians, right? We need to bring them up to where we are. We don't want to let them take us down to where they are. We want to go up, not down. You know, so, I mean, there's a whole lot of them out there. And I've told this story before, but there was a couple that said they were Christians, and they said they went to church, and and they came back years ago. And my wife and I, they wanted us to come down to Dallas to some kind of meeting they were going to that day. So we went, and it was just a little... Uh, deal about investments and so forth, and we listened to what they were talking about. But on the way home, he said, let's stop over here at my favorite place and, and have a uh, a drink. And I thought, okay. I mean, when he said a drink, I thought that means a Coke. You know, I mean, that's all I drink. So we pull into a topless club. And I said, you ain't going in that. And his wife was with him, and my wife was with me. He said, oh, yeah, me and my wife, we stop here every time we come down here. I said, what? He said, oh, come on, Thurman. And, of course, his wife said, come on. You and your wife will enjoy it. I thought, I don't know about this, but okay. I said, we'll go in there. We went in there and sat down in that club, and there was a girl up there with nearly no clothes on, dancing all over the stage and everything. They were both laughing, clapping at her and everything else, and we... My wife and I, did, we were miserably uncomfortable in that place. Needless to say, next time they came and wanted us to go to something with them, we had an excuse. We said we'd rather stay home and eat or whatever, but we never went with them no more. That's the last time we ever went with them. And guess what happened? My wife and I lived together 41 and a half years till she died in a car wreck uh, five or six years ago. But that couple, I found out that they're both still alive, but they're both separated, and they're gone their own ways. They're not living together anymore. See? Isn't that amazing? Hey, we were doing what God said, and we were blessed. They didn't do what God said, and it caused a curse, and it broke up their marriage. And the last time I went through that city, I thought I'll stop by and see how my friend's doing. And I stopped there, and when... Uh, I found out where his house was and I called him and he said sure Thurman I live at this address be happy to see you come on over so I drove over I was by myself I was out on a business trip and I drove over and knocked on the door and instead of him coming to the door a woman came to the door and it wasn't the woman that I knew as his wife and I found out before I left he had divorced his wife and he was living with that one and he wasn't married to her now that's not exactly what God likes you know that I tried to tell him I said, you know, you're living in a dangerous place. You're living in sin, and you need to stop this. But, oh, he said, Thurman, you're just an old fogey. You don't understand. I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I said, God's Word expects you, if you are a Christian, He expects you to walk holy before Him. So I'm glad that I didn't spend a whole lot of time with this family. I mean, you see how they went astray? stray? So when God says the righteous should choose his friends carefully, that's what he means. You really need to check out who you're going to be friend that you're going to become friends with, that you're going to allow to come to your home, and you're going to go to their home and sit down and have dinner with them. You need to learn who they are. You want good Christian friends, people that know the Word of God, People that will edify you and build you up, and you can do the same thing to them. You know, those are the close friends. Now, all people you need to be about God's business of bringing people up. There's not anything wrong with that, you know, but I'm talking about your close friends, those that you're going to be intimate with, those that you're going to spend time in their home. They're going to spend time in your home. You want to make sure those friends are really Christian people. Choose them carefully. Make sure they're walking in obedience to the word. Make sure they're not living in some kind of sin. It says, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, if the way of the wicked, you know, Paul told us something like that in the New Testament, that if we, if we live in a place where there's sin, that sin will carry over to you you know how easy it is for you to be drawn away with sin you know it's very easy you can take a man especially a man you can take a man that's never thought about pornography and some guy flash him a few pictures and say, look at this and the devil can start working on that mind, and he can lead that man astray and he can bring that man down into a pit of hell through that pornography. He might have never dreamed of doing that except the wrong friend showed him the wrong pictures and you can be led astray. Now, it can do that to you. So that's why you have to watch what you see and you hear and everything because you do not want to get involved with any kind of sin. You want to walk holy and in a place where only holiness is. And to do that, you can't go to movies today. You can't watch a whole lot of television today. You can't listen to a whole lot of secular radio. You have to be extremely cautious what you feed into your heart if you want to walk in God's power and God's anointing. And I want to walk there, don't you, Dean? Yes, sir. So I'm going to be careful what I feed into myself. It's bad enough in the workplace being around normal men, isn't it? Just being around normal men in the workplace is bad enough, you know, because you can be led astray. You know, you can be led astray. I mean, I think about one time when I was in the workforce, I had a bunch of men come in to do uh, a big uh, installation of some uh, new equipment, uh, some uh, uh, very sophisticated equipment, and there was about a half a dozen of these men. And I walked down that morning. That morning, they were all down there getting their tools out and getting ready to install all this equipment. And I said, praise God, is there any born-again Christians among you guys? And man, there was dead silence there for a minute. And then all of a sudden, one of them said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And one of the other guys said, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I said, well, you guys go to church. Yeah. I said, what kind of church you go to? He said, well, I'm Pentecostal. I said, great, praise God. I said, what kind of church you go to? He said, well, I'm a church of Christ. I said, praise God. And I finally finally found out that all but one of them would profess to be a Christian, but some of them didn't go to church. I said, well, you guys don't go to church. Probably never seen no miracles or no healings. And all of them says, what? I said, you mean you guys never seen God do nothing? They said, well, no. I said, what a shame. I thought you guys were Christians. I said, you guys obviously are not walking where God wants you to walk. Because, I said, we serve a miracle-working God. He does awesome things. He answers prayer. But you got to do it his way. Man, I mean, that broke the ice with those guys. And one of them looked over to us and he said, what kind of church do you say you go to? He said, I'm a Pentecostal. He said, man, I'm a church of Christ. He said, I'm a church of Christ. He said, I've been working with you for three years. You ain't never said you as a Christian not one time in your life. Why? Didn't you say? He said, well, you ain't never said it either. Uh-oh. Confession time, see. But see, I broke the ice among these men. Now then, they started talking about Jesus. They ain't never talked about Jesus. But yet they're Christians. Well, that next day, they're up in the cafeteria, and one of the guys that had been sick the day before, he was there. And so they're talking about Jesus. I mean, I talk, I talk about Jesus and all the stuff, and we get up there in the cafeteria, and one of them said, hey, Mr. Schrivener, come over here. I said, okay. He said, this guy here, he's the one that's sick yesterday. He still ain't feeling too good today. He said, we're talking to him about some of these things you talk about you've seen. I said, why don't you pray for him? I looked at him and I said, well, are you a Christian? He said, no. I said, if I were to pray for you and God instantly healed you, would you serve him? He said, no. I said, well, they ain't no use to me praying for him. I ain't going to waste my time. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm just as bold as they are, see? I mean, I've, I've learned what God does. And, you know, so, but anyway, as we go through the week, something did happen to one of the men. And I said, okay, now it's time to pray. And I prayed and God instantly took care of the situation. I mean, it was awesome. They all got to see it. The guy said, he said, this God you serve is real. I said, I guarantee he's real. Well, when they see that, now this guy said, no, I wouldn't serve him. He said, now, wait a minute, maybe we need to talk about this. He said, I ain't never heard of a God that does these kind of things. But when God shows up and does something for you, it changes the way people think. You know that? When He instantly does something, hey, I mean, you see a miracle right in your presence, all of a sudden, God becomes a whole lot more real, doesn't He, Dee? Yes, He does. But see, that's where we're supposed to walk as children of God. We are supposed to walk holy and obedient to His Word and in total faith. And when we pray... He shows up, and he does great and awesome things. And when he does a miracle, man, I'm telling you, that lifting boys fire. They was there for two or three weeks installing equipment, and every morning when I come in, I didn't have to say, good morning, how are you guys doing anymore? They say, good morning, Mr. Scrivener, praise the Lord. (laughs) I mean, all they got to do is see Jesus. do one little miracle during the course of the week changed every one of them's life. I had about 15 of them out there one morning on another project, When I'm trying to talk to them about Jesus, they ain't none of this much believing in Jesus. None of them. Oh, they're using words of profanity, taking the Lord's name in vain and everything else. About the third or fourth day, I walked in. I said, good morning. Praise the Lord. How you guys doing? Oh, we're doing okay. One of these big, tall electricians there, a guy must have weighed 230, about 6'6", had a hard hat on. He hung his head and he said, Oh, God, Mr. Scrivener, I'm so sick this morning. I'd have to die to get better. I walked right over in front of him with fifteen guys standing around. I said, You big lug, take that hat off and lay it on the counter. He said, What are you gonna do? I said, I'm gonna pray for you and Jesus is gonna heal you. I said, You told me you don't even know who he is. But I said, I know who he is. And I said, leased up and laid my hand on, I said, You devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, thank you for healing this man. I said, It's done. I turned and walked off. God instantly healed that man. Instantly healed that man. I mean, that guy came to my office an hour later and knocked on the door. And I said, come on in, come on in. I could see him through the glass. He cracked the door and looked in. And he said, Mr. Scribner, where do you go to church? And I said, I go to Baptist Church in Justin. He said, do you know a while ago when you touched me and prayed for me, all of my pain and dizziness and sickness and everything went away immediately? I said, well, that's what I expected. I told you he was going to do that. He said, I ain't never... Seeing God do nothing like this. I said, but see, he loves you, and he did that to you to let you know he's real. Now, he wants you to come into his kingdom and serve him. That's what he wants. And that guy come to do Jesus for is over. And I'm telling you, after that, when he went back in there and told all them guys he was healed, them guys that was every morning taking the Lord's name, using God's name in vain, doing all kinds of things, it totally changed the scene. After that day, no more profanity in the workplace. I didn't have to ask them not to do it. They just stopped. Why did they stop? Because Jesus showed up. When you do something in faith, Jesus shows up. What a God we serve. Isn't it fun serving the Lord? Seeing Him do the wonderful things He done? Wow. I got a letter last night, uh, or yesterday, I guess it was. Last night I was reading this letter and this couple was on fire telling me the things God had done. And I believe he had been a pastor. And and they had never seen God do nothing. But they'd been listening to my teachings, and they got on fire to this stuff, started believing it, started praying in faith. And he said, I ain't never seen nothing like this. He said, it's awesome what God has done for me. And he began to tell me some of the things he had seen. And I thought, wow, Jesus is everywhere, isn't he? He honors his word and faith. When you step out in faith, wow, Jesus shows up. But you want to do what he says here in the book. He says here, The lazy man, the lazy man does not roast what he took in honey. But diligence is man's precious possession. Diligence. Just think. He keeps telling us he loves diligence. I mean, we go more into the New Testament. He says Without faith, it's impossible to please me. But those that come to me and believe that I am and that diligently seek me, he'll reveal himself to you. You've got to diligently seek him. You can't just kind of flippantly go by. You've got to seek the king. I think about the times that I've had questions that I did not understand when I would get on my face before God And I'd take his word and I'd read it and I'd study it and I'd ask him. I said, Lord, you said you'll talk to me. I said, you said right here you'll speak to me. And I said, Lord, you said right here that I could ask you anything and you would answer me. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, according to your word, I ask you to honor your word and speak to me and tell me what this problem is with this person or with my own life, whatever it is. And sometimes I'll spend two, three, four, six, eight hours doing that. And then all of a sudden the king speaks. And when he does, wow, what an awesome privilege. What an awesome privilege. But see, those times that it took me four hours to get him to talk, what if I'd have stopped at three and a said, well, God, don't talk. I asked for three and a half hours and nothing happened. He said, oh, yeah, you were this close, but you gave up. You weren't quite. So if you don't give up, God's answers are how often are they yes? every time. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. All of God's promises are yes and amen every time to those of us that are in Christ. And if we're in Christ, then all we've got to do is believe what he said. For all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yes and amen to the glory of God. Isn't that awesome? That he would go so far to say that all of his promises are yes every time if you're in Christ. Now, are we in Christ? Yes, we are. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're in Christ. So all the promises of God are yes and amen. So if all the promises of God are yes and amen, and you're seeking to hear his voice, if you stay with it long enough, what's he going to do? He's going to talk to you. That's right. Or what if you're seeking a healing? If you stay with it long enough, you're going to get it. You know, you're going to get it. Now, you know, here we're, we're the microwave technology today. You know, we come in, and I got so tickled at one of the preachers on television. I love this guy. He's a great preacher. But he said, I'm probably the only preacher around that goes to McDonald's, you know, and turns in my order and then runs to the window and said, hurry up. I'm in a hurry. Get my hamburger out. You know, that, now that's patience, isn't it? <laughs> Usually they got your hamburger ready all oh, most of the time you get to the window, don't they? But he said, I can beat on the window and say, Hurry up, hurry up Well, that's not patience. You know, but God's teaching us patience and He's teaching us how to walk diligently. It says, The lazy man does not roast what he took in honey. Now that's pretty sad. I think about Peter there when Jesus told him, when he said, Lord, we need money to pay our taxes. He says, go out, and the first fish you catch, he'll have the money in his mouth. Now, you know, I think about that scene, and this is what I see. Now, I may be wrong. I think Peter went out there and cast that hook in or that net or whatever, and the first fish that come to the top, whether he had a net full of them or he had a line or whatever he had, that first fish that come right on the top, he grabbed that fish and opened his mouth, and there was... If he needed $50 or $500 for taxes, there it was, right there in the map. I can see him now, grab that money, throw the fish in, drop the net, and goes and pay the taxes. But now see, then he had to buy lunch. Had to buy lunch. I mean, he had a, fish, a net full of fish. I mean, he could have took them and sold them and had money to buy lunch with, but I, bet he, I mean, I may be wrong, this is just my own interpretation, but I'm thinking about me. That's what I would do. You know, I would be so excited if Jesus told me to go out and cast out my net or put a hook, and the first fish I caught would have my taxes in the mouth. So if you said the first one, I wonder what the second one might have in his mouth. Y'all see where I'm coming from? I mean, if the Lord says the first one will have enough to pay your taxes, my goodness, the next one might have had a year's wages in his mouth. You can't tell. You know, because if God tells you the first one, did he say he wants to bless us abundantly? I mean, sure he did. So what do we do? We get so excited about the first fish having the taxes in his mouth. We throw the fish back in, and we don't even throw the line out for the second one. I mean, if the first one had, I mean, today, I don't know what taxes cost back in those days, but today, if you've got a house that costs less than $1,000 for taxes, you've got a small house. You know that? Almost any house costs $1,000 for taxes. You know that? And some of you probably have houses that cost two, three, four, five thousand dollars for taxes. You know that it's really high. So if I had one that the taxes was only a thousand dollars on, if I had one that small, and I went out there and throw that fish, that net in or whatever and pulled it up, and that first fish come up there and I opened his mouth, he had five one hundred dollar bills in his mouth. I can just see myself saying, "Praise God!" And just drop the net. I'd probably lose net fish, everything. And I'd run, pay my taxes. Like then on the way back, I think, oh my gosh, now I have got to do something to get enough money to buy dinner. You know, but I had a net full of fish. I could have fed everybody. Or you can't ever tell him. I'd looked in the second one. He might have had five hundred more dollars in his mouth. See, we don't know, do we? But Jesus said, the first fish you catch will have enough money in his mouth to pay your taxes. So I think, wow, what is this? It says. In verse 28, in the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. Ooh, isn't that beautiful? I love it. So does it pay good dividends to walk righteous and holy before God? I mean, just think. How would you like to be able to teach your children these principles from the day they were born And you and your wife walk in obedience to God's Word. Walk in a love relationship with your spouse. And teach these principles to your children. Give no place to the enemy and your children grow up, and you not ever have any sickness, never have to go to a hospital, and your children never have to go, and your grandchildren never have to go, and three or four generations you've been here, and you've seen your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, and they're all grown, and now you're 150 or 200 years old, and you've never had a sick day in your life. Now, would that be awesome? That's it, that we, Most of us today can't even think like that. We can't even think like that. Because have you ever seen anybody that lived like that? No. It's virtually non-existent. We live in too much sin. And so, therefore, since the Word of God says sin brings forth death. So when we sin, every time we sin, we open the door to one of them little chomping demons that comes in to start cutting away our flesh. And every time we sin, we get another one. And they keep cutting away our sin. And they start making us old and weak and sick and afflicted. And some of us, when we're 20 or 30, have committed enough sins that it kills us. I had a couple in the minister center the other day. That when they came in, I thought, wow, what an old couple. I'm serious. They looked, so, they were wrinkled, both of them. I thought, I wonder how old they are. I really didn't want to ask them. They were from out of town. I ministered to them for two or three or four hours. They had so many demons, it was awful. When I began to cast demons out of them, equipment within the building began to shut down and fail. Cheryl come running in after... She said, what are you doing in here? Everything in the building shutting down. The CD recorders were not working. The tape recorders were stopping. Everything was... I said, "That's just casting out demons. I said, well, don't worry. I said, just shut everything down till I get through. We'll get through, then we'll sweep this place, clean it. We'll kick all these devils out, and we'll start over. This couple had lived in every kind of sin you can imagine. I mean, if it was sin, they had done it. I mean they had committed every sin the Bible talks about. And when I finally got every demon cast out of them and and got all their needs met, I said, would you all mind telling me what your age is before you all leave? And she was 45 and he was 48. And they could have passed for 80, both of them. So old and so wrinkled i never seen two people that young look that old in my life. Now then, when the Word of God says sin brings forth death, that's what he means. That's what he means. So if you go out and live in that kind of sin, them demons will eat away at your flesh, and they will kill you. Now, if they hadn't come when they did, probably within another five years, they'd have both been dead. They could have very well. And that's young. Forty-five and forty-eight is not old. You know, but boy, they looked old. In the way of righteousness is life. And in its pathway there is no death. Now see, that agrees with other scripture. In John chapter 8. In fact, I don't have that on my outline, but I'm going to turn to it and read it to you because it's so wild. That most of us can't fathom it. John eight twenty six. No, it's not John eight, twenty six. It's John. 51 and 52, isn't it? Yeah. John 8, yeah, 50. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keeps my sayings, he shall never see death. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's more than most of us can grasp. But Jesus is the one who said that. Now, of course, we read in Proverbs there another thing about you shall not die if you walk righteously before God. But Jesus went so far to say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man shall keep my sayings, he shall never see death. Then let's turn over to John eleven twenty-six. And let's look at that one. Jesus said in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he was dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? No, we don't believe that that's a little far out for most of us to grasp. So now then, if we could do what the king says, just like he said, if you do what I say, you'll never have to die. So how many people do you know that's been able to walk where he told us to walk? Nobody. And never been one. Never been one. Because the flesh wants to sin. And we yield to it on a regular We start out very young, yielding to the flesh. You don't have to teach a, a little child how to be mean to their little brother or sister. They know how to be mean to them. You've got to teach them how to love them. You know that? Guarantee you do. Yeah. So if you teach them how to do these things, the Word of God says, if you can walk there, if you can walk there, you don't have to die. Enoch. Enoch walked with God 350 years, and God loved him. And finally, Enoch was translated to heaven because God loved him so, and he walked so in obedience to the word. One day, the Lord Jesus just came down and said, Enoch, I can't stand it no more for you to be down here and me be in heaven. I'm going to translate you out of here. And Enoch was no more. And he was gone. He was translated to heaven. What a way to go, huh? The Lord come down, of course, that's just like Elijah. He was a pretty good guy, you know, and the Lord just sent a chariot of fire down and picked him up and swooped him up and took him out too, you know. Now, Moses walked pretty good before God, and I don't see how in the world with two, three, four, five million people he was leading around that desert for all those years. I don't see how he kept his cool as much as he did. But Moses kept his cool. I mean, he was a great man of God. But after 40 years with this bunch of heathens in the desert, us pastors really know sometimes just 50 or 150 or 200 in a church, we have trouble with them, right? Yes, we do. So to have 2 or 3 million of these people you're trying to deal with, let me tell you, forget it. I don't know how Moses did it. But the Lord came to him at the end. all the people were grumbling and complaining, they want water. And the Lord says Moses speak to the rock and command water to go forth and Moses got angry with these people and he said you bunch of heathens won't you believe God yet and he reached up and ducked that staff and he hit that rock when he hit that rock water came out but when he hit that rock who did he hit he hit the Lord well, that rock was Jesus and he laid that rod across him and he didn't like it he told him to speak to it And they would come forth, and he disobeyed. And because he disobeyed, what did he do? It cost him his life, and he did not get to enter the promised land. One little sin. Ooh, I don't think that was fair. But God's the judge, not me. (laughs) But that tells us how much the king expects us to walk holy when he puts us in a place like Moses, right, Dean? Now, we better be glad we're not in that position because when he starts talking face to face with you like he did Moses, he expects you to straighten up. He expects you to walk in total obedience to his word. And Moses did a very good job, I will have to say. But one little tiny sin, and it cost him his life. But just think, he'd been obedient, he'd walked with God, he'd done everything God said. He was a, How old was Moses? 120 years old. How bad was his eyes? They were perfect and clear. How bad his strength? Was he weak? He was strong. He was young, but he was 120 years old. Had walking in righteousness paid good dividends for Moses? Ooh, great dividends. So is it worth the fact for you and me to strive to walk holy before God? Absolutely. Because if we walk holy before God, we're going to live a whole lot longer. We're going to be healthy. We're not going to be weak. Our eyes are not going to be dim. And we walk in total faith with God's word, and he renews our youth like the eagles. And I love that. I love being strong and healthy and able to do all these wonderful things. What fun this is serving the living God, when you learn how to walk in faith. I love it. Then he says, after he says that there is no death, and not only did he say that in Proverbs 12, but he said it in John 8 and John 11, as we said there. But that's really a little more than we can stomach. I mean, the average Christian can't go there. We just can't believe that we, have, we can live and not have to get sick. People say, well, good grief. If you're never going to get sick, how are you going to die? Well, I don't plan to die. I plan to be translated out of here. I plan to be serving the Lord, walking in obedience to his word, and doing everything the Lord told me to do. I expect, I mean, to be going strong, preaching the word, teaching the word, casting out devils, healing the sick, doing all the things he said. And one day he says, okay, son, that's it. That's the last one. And just jerk me right out of here and I'm in heaven in the next instant. No sickness, no disease. When that happens, when my body falls on that floor right there, don't nobody come up and try to raise me from the dead because I ain't coming back. <laughs> when the king snatches me out of here and I'm going to be with him, who would want to be back down here, right? But in the meantime, while we're here, we've got a job to do and it's to occupy till he comes. And we're going to do that. And we're going to do it in good health because we're going to walk holy before the Lord. A wise man heeds his father's instructions. Now, who is our father? The Father, God in heaven. Now, also, a wise man heeds his earthly father's instructions. Now, if you take a young man that will not listen to his dad, that will not come and ask his dad for advice, that young man is going to suffer a lot of things. He would not have to suffer because daddy has lived a lot more years than you have lived. And he knows a lot of things you don't know. And if you will humble yourself and come and ask Daddy, Daddy will have a lot of answers. If he has been a wise man that served God, he'll have lots of answers because he sought God and God revealed them to him. Now then, if that young man gets to point where he does not have a daddy on this earth, he always has a heavenly daddy. And you can go to him and he has all the answers, not part of them. He has all of them, and that's what I did. I mean, in my workplace and everything, after I learned Colossians 2, verse 3 and 4, where it says all the secrets of the universe are hidden in him, Christ, and he's in me. So when I learned that, that Christ was in me, and all of the treasures, the mysteries of the universe are hidden in him, that means they're all in me. All i got to do is tap into him, And when I tap in Him in prayers of faith, then He reveals to me everything I need to do whatever I need to do. I don't care if I'm building a piece of equipment, designing something, building a building, flying an airplane, whatever I'm doing, He will reveal to me everything I need to know to perform those tasks. Because Christ's in me, the hope of glory. And all of the knowledge and the wisdom and the revelation and the secrets of the universe are in him. He knows them all. And think, that source is in you and me. Isn't that awesome? All we got to do is ask. But you got to be walking in obedience to his word to get an answer. You know, if you're living in sin or unbelief or whatever, he don't answer. He don't talk to sinners. And he says he doesn't. So you need to make sure that you're walking in obedience to his word. In other words, here's the way I look at this. It's kind of like inside of us is our spirit man. And God's spirit communicates with our spirit. Now then, our spirit communicates with our soul or our mind. Now then, if that pipe or the conduit flowing between your spirit and your soul is plugged up like a dirty sewer pipe, if you take a sewer pipe and it gets all plugged up with crud, How much water can flow through a plugged-up sewer pipe? Nothing. I mean, when the pipe gets plugged up, if you get a toilet and it gets plugged up, the line doesn't, you flush it, it runs out over on the floor. Nothing goes down. That's what happens to you and me when our pipe gets stopped up with sin. When sin is in that pipe, that pipe is plugged up. And God's trying to communicate with us. His spirit's talking to our spirit, but our spirit can't get through to our soul, our mind, because the pipe is stopped up. Now, then, when you get all the sin repented of, you got a rotor router in it, and he runs through and cleans it out. When that rotor router runs through and cleans it out, plumb out to the edge, when you get every sin repented of, the pipe is clean. Now, then, when that pipe is clean, now, then, when he speaks to your spirit, your spirit communicates with your soul or your mind, and you hear him, and those beautiful thoughts come. And you've got to know that's God talking to you. Now, I remember one time a preacher that his little son would say, Daddy, you ought to talk to my angel. Now, he thought his son was kind of, you know, just, you know how children fantasize. But one day he was standing there, and he was just carrying on a beautiful conversation. And this pastor said, he's seeing something. Someone's talking to him. The conversation carried. He said, son, who are you talking to? He said, daddy, my angel. Don't you see him? He said, no, I don't see him. He said, son, ask him why I can't see him. Oh, he said, angel, why can't my daddy see you? Oh, he said, okay. He said, daddy, he said you got too much sin in your life. Now, for a pastor, that wasn't what the pastor wanted to hear. you got too much sin in your life. But he asked, and he got his answer. So that may be why we don't see our angels very often because we got too much sin in our life. It may be why we don't hear from God very often because we're not walking in obedience to His Word. I mean, I know some people have gone through their whole life and have never heard from God. Well, I went almost 37 or 38 years of my life before I heard from Him. You know, I never dreamed I'd hear from Him, but I finally did. And boy, when I did from then till now, Woo, have I heard from him. Woo. Thank you, Jesus. It's wonderful. It says a wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. If you rebuke your son, tell him he needs to change his stop something, and he don't listen to you. He ain't never gonna get nowhere. He ain't never gonna get nowhere. He has to learn to listen to rebuke. I mean, is it easy to listen to a rebuke? No. Some people will not listen to one. I mean, they just won't listen. But says a wise son, heeds his father's instruction. When he tells him what to do, he listens and then he goes and do it, does what daddy says. He don't walk out and say, that old man's a fool. He don't know what he's talking about. But there is some sons that do that to their dads. What a shame. A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. That's kind of hard to grasp, isn't it? The fruit of his mouth. What is the fruit of your mouth? Words. The fruit of your mouth is words. Now, if you speak the right words, you will be blessed. Because who's behind the blessing or cursing? God. He's behind both of them. God speaks a blessing, the angels make it come to pass, and you receive it. Or you're disobedient and God speaks a curse, the devil comes in and makes it come to pass, and you're cursed. But God speaks the blessings and the curses. No curse comes upon you undeserved, but no blessing overtakes you either. You just don't accidentally stumble into a blessing. You know, you've heard people say, I don't know what it is about that girl, but that girl, she is is born with a silver spoon in her mouth. Everything she touches turns to go. You ever heard people say things like that? Sure. But if you get with that person, you'll find out they're doing something right in the kingdom. They're blessed. And another thing you'll find out, usually those people are good givers. You ever notice that? Those people that really give. You know, that help people that are in need, you know, that give, especially those that give to God, you know. He blesses them. Use discretion when you give. There's a right way and a wrong way to give. But he says, A man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. The soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. You know, something I could never understand. When men will go out and get drunk and want to fight and come home with a tooth knocked out or a broke jaw or a broke nose, I never understood that. I still don't understand that. I can't imagine a human being Wanting to hit somebody else with their fist. I can't grasp that. I have never hit a human being with my fist in my life. Never. Because they're children of... At least whether they know it or not, God made you. You may not be a child of God at this point. You may be a child of the devil. But God made you nonetheless. And I do not want to hit you. I've never hit a human being, never, with my fist. And the only way I would do that is if I knew somebody was fixing to do bodily harm to me or one of my children, if I knew I was going to have to be engaged in some kind of mortal combat to prevent the death or something of myself or my children or my grandchildren, then I could become violent. That's the only way. I would never attack the human being unless that, I was almost 100% sure they was fixing to do physical harm to me or my family, then I could become violent. You know, Because these violent people out here, when they go to do that to you, they don't understand anything except, well, I still believe that we could call on our angels and put them on the floor. I saw that happen one time. I was in a church one time in my life and it was a man of God preaching from the pulpit, and he knew who he was. This—that's why I went to this teaching. This guy knew who he was and what faith was. And while we were there at that church, it was a big church, and there was several hundred people there. There was nowhere close to full that night, but there was three or four hundred people there anyway. And there was a man when he started talking about demons. There was a man that jumped up out of the seat back there and ran down the aisle screaming, I'm going to kill you. And that's not something you normally see in church. I had never seen that before in my life. But that guy stood right in the center of the podium up here like this. He was way up, and there was a man come screaming down this aisle right here, and this man says, Father, in Jesus' name, I command an angel to put him on his face on the floor now. And I saw that man fall on his face with his head down with both hands straight back, and they were sticking up in the air, and he couldn't move a muscle. I thought, wow, that's awesome. But I was there that day, and I saw that with my own eyes. Do you think God answered that man's prayer? Yes, he did, I guarantee. He sent an angel and an invisible being, or two of them, whatever it was, put that man on his face on the floor with both hands sticking straight back. And he could not move a muscle. I thought, wow, now that's a good angel to have. You need to know how to call them critters into existence but he did it, and those angels showed up. I've never seen that before, and I've never seen that again, but I saw it that night, and it was a church in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. It was a visiting preacher, though he was out of town. He's not in the Dallas area. This says here in this uh, 13.3, he who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. Do you know how hard it is to keep your mouth shut? Especially when somebody doing something you don't like. I mean you want to get them. Don't we? Yeah. And I'm sure, as a police officer, some of them people you subdue, I'm sure you must hear some choice words from some of them. <laughs> But those kind of people that you're after out there—they don't know what this is all about. They have no clue. I mean, they are worldly people, aren't they, brother? Yes, they are. I think one night when the officer told us he was chasing somebody that was doing something stupid and they was going everywhere, and he first his first words were, "You know, God, this guy's going to kill somebody." And then he said, I thought, no, that's the wrong confession. He said, Lord, pin them down somewhere. Run them under a truck or do something, but stop them in Jesus' name. And he said, they went right around the corner, run right under the edge of a truck and spin them right there. was that right, brother? Something like that. And there they were. They were stopped. But see, he prayed and asked the Lord to send an angel or whatever to do whatever. And the Lord stopped that car and isn't, isn't it amazing? Wait a minute. Let me, I, I don't have, a, yeah, I do have a microphone. I want you to tell us what happened there. Let me bring this mic. Bring this mic back and I want, I want you to tell us that story.
1: Okay, it's about two years ago, uh, February 15, 2005. And uh, two weeks prior to that, I was under some kind of darkness. I felt heavy. I kept praying and praying. And uh, I am a police officer. I have been here for 26 years. And uh, that day, I had picked up the phone to call in sick and found out that four other officers called in sick. So I went to work, and it was my daughter's birthday. So I went to sick. I was pretty much compelled to be there, and I worked the area that I don't – well, I used to work that particular area, which is a high-crime area, and I felt afflicted. I kept driving in circles uh, like a figure eight for almost an hour and a half just praying, and it was just so heavy that I couldn't feel it. as I came around a apartment complex, before I took a break, I said, I'm going to check this complex. And doing so, I uh, I saw this man um, sexually assaulting a nine-year-old child. She was on her way to school, and he kidnapped her. This is a stranger abduction, not a father or incest. This is a, a stranger. Picked her up, and in fact, this is the same suspect who had raped another child uh, six months earlier. He had raped two more in Kansas. Uh, he was a sexual predator, and in fact, uh, he was not in her books. He was not considered a sexual predator. He was 17 when he was convicted in Kansas, and he fell through the system. He in, in Texas become becoming 17 and adult. Uh, in fact, at Tarrant County D.A.S. Um, office, he had 61 victims. In fact, he raped a child in the basement of a church. Anyway, that's, that wasn't known to that at the time. Anyway, um, he was raping a 9-year-old who he had kidnapped um, uh, in Arlington, drove her to Grand Prairie, and he threatened her. Uh, a disruptor. Of course, he, he had sex with her. And that's wow. when I pulled up. Chase started. In fact, I have that on video. I've been meaning to bring that video to you. This is on video. Oh, wow. And I chased um, the, the vehicle, the suspect. He grabbed the child and pushed her in the floorboard of the car. And I'm, of course, engaged in code 3, sirens and lights, going to Arlington, wrong, the wrong way in the streets. At one point in the video, you can see where you can't see the vehicle anymore. I mean, he's far off. And I look at my rearview mirror, and my backup got stuck in traffic. So I'm alone. And uh, no one's responding. I'm the only one responding. At that point, uh, the sergeant was almost called it off, because we weren't sure what we had. I knew there was somebody in the car. Uh, I was either nude or partially nude. And, and uh, I could tell it was a small stature person. Uh, I couldn't tell whether it was an adult or not. So at that time, I, I quoted uh, Luke 10, 18, 19, 20. Uh, You know, you have power over the enemy. And uh, during this chase, I've been, I've been in many chases. And in this particular chase, I didn't feel like I was driving. It was, I got all the green lights, and every car moved of my path. And you can see the video where you can see the little blink of a white vehicle. So anyway, I, I, I rebuked that and, and charged the angels to protect me. He, when I cleared the hill, he had spun out of control, hit a van, no damage, the van, or damage to the van, no injury to the female driver. Slammed to the back of a school bus filled with kids. Thank God nobody was hurt in the bus. He comes out, gets on the ground. The little girl comes out naked, um, crying. Um, in fact, she was praying. She told me later that she'd been praying for an angel to come to her rescue. Um, so we got him. What's so strangely is that when I put him in my car, he confessed. He, he told me what he did. He abducted. He had had sex with this little girl. Most suspects don't do that. They always deny it. Even if you have him in video, they say, no, I didn't do it. Prove it. And so I advised him of his rights. I'm right in the morning. Once you have seen TV, that's required to, to interrogate a prisoner. And he... I thought it was a ploy for him just to just say something, maybe incentive to play. Who knows? And he says, uh, he repeated again after advising him his rights. He waived his rights, you know, the room and saw the whole bit. And he said, yeah, I, yeah, I did that. I saw it in a video, and I, I did that. Strangely, when detectives wanted to talk to him, wouldn't talk. Wouldn't talk to them. He denied. He said he passed out. But yet, after when I prayed and, and rebuked him, and he was talking to me. So when he was in jail, I went back to the padded cell where he was kept because we needed more information where he lived, because we found more evidence from the first victim in his house in a different city. So I was able to get some more information through him. So I was talking to him. He gave me that information. He told me who he lived with and the car and so forth, station in there. But yet he would not talk to the detectives as if he was convicted. Uh, he was convicted. He got th- uh, this year, actually, uh, February. No, January, I'm sorry. January this year, he got 396 years. Right. 300, 396 years. And uh, like I said, as soon as that re- the arrest happened, there was no darkness. It was just – there's also a mathematical equation with birthdays. When I've been looking for birthdays, a lot of um, – and I haven't done the mathematical probability. But there have been so many dates, reference to that child, to me, to my kids, to the date, the officers calling in sick, me praying. In fact, three minutes prior to that, a lady came up to me, was, and she was frustrated because of the drug dealing. And she said, I'm praying. I said, what are you praying for? She said, I just took it for back. like nobody ever asked her, especially special policeman. So we reached, she started praying, and it's okay, thank you. And uh, she said, I'll pay for you too. She gave me her, her business card for a church. I said, I appreciate that. Thank you. And she left. And then, of course, a few minutes later, that's when I came across that suspect. Damn. And, and um, in the history that I know, I don't recall any officers arresting a rape in progress. We have arrested quite a few since, I mean, in, in, during the course of the investigation, but in the act of actually Seeing somebody, I do know a trooper in California a, stopped a car where they kidnapped victim in the trunk. But those are very rare occasions. This year, uh, since as as that arrest, I think I arrested three more since then for that charge. And I'm always praying.
0: It happens, way, well, Praise the Lord. Wonderful when you learn to pray, right? Yes. Glory, praise the King. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, what God does through His men. Whenever they pray, and just like when he quoted Luke ten, eighteen and i Luke 10, 18, 19, and twenty, and asked the Lord to do something, he run that car into a back of a bus, wasn't it? Uh, school, bus. school bus, run into the back of a school bus but it stopped him. It stopped him. no injuries no damage. <clears throat> to the school bus. Praise the Lord. And see if it hadn't been for that that guy might have got away. He, to get away. Yeah. he was getting away, wasn't he? Exactly. he had away. Yeah, yeah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. See what happens when we learn to pray. Wow. It's awesome when you learn to pray. But when you've learned to pray, it's changed your whole life in the police force, hasn't it? Amen. Praise God. Yeah. yeah. Walk, walk holy before God and do what He says, and He answers your prayers, sends angels to watch over you and to help you capture your the criminals. Wow. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love serving the King. Now then, as we read there, he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. It's very cautious, very cautiously should we open our mouth. I mean, I have had to really, really watch myself. I'm trying my best to be cautious, to think through everything that comes to me before I open my mouth and make a decision. I'm trying my best to do it God's way. I want to do it God's way. says, The soul of a lazy man... The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Do you reckon it pays good dividends to be diligent? God hears your prayers. He makes you rich. Do you think it pays good dividends to be a slothful, lazy person? No. It says the soul of a lazy man desires, but has nothing. Nothing. You know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these principles work. I have proved them in my own life. I have been diligent. I have not been lazy. I have worked hard, long hours, and I have studied God's Word intently, and it has paid the most awesome dividends of anything I've ever seen. But he's not only blessed me there. He's blessed me financially. I mean, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be able to get to the point in life that you can work all those years and pay Social Security all those years, the maximum. I paid the maximum Social Security for the last 35 years. Well, now then, I mean, that I'm retired, I mean, I, since I didn't owe anything or anybody anything and everything I had was paid for, my Social Security is enough for me to live good on. But then whenever they drilled that gas well out there and I got that too. Hey, I really live good now. You know, I don't have to I don't have to take a penny from the ministry. Just let God. You that's how we pay for all this stuff and everything because I don't have to take any money. The money that comes into me, I give it to the ministry. You know. I put it in there too. A whole lot of it. I don't think about a tithe. That's too little. He wouldn't dare give 10% to God in the ministry. You know, give him something. Give him a gift. David said, how dare me give something to God that didn't cost me something. You know, I want to give him a gift. Yeah. Wow. The soul of a lazy man desires. Oh, he desires. He wants a new car, a new house. You know, all these wonderful things, nice clothes. But he's not willing to get out there early and work late and bust his can to do it. So, he desires and has nothing. Wouldn't that that be sad? They have desires and wind up with nothing? Do you know I was flying on an airplane here a while back with a man from Chicago coming to the Dallas area? This guy was a professor at one of the uh, universities in Chicago somewhere. And he was an economics major. And he asked me a question. He said, are you saving money for your retirement? I said, oh yeah. I said, I'm investing money. And he said, well, are you going to be able to retire and live at the same basis, same standards that when you were working? I said, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be able to live there. He said, you know what percent of the American people you fit into? I said, well, I have no idea. I said, I thought all businessmen or men should invest and save money so that when they get ready to retire, they'll be able to provide for their families. And and, and I said, don't all men do that? He said, no. He said, less than 3% of the people in America will be able to retire and live at the same standards they lived at when they worked, 3%. He said less than 10% of the people have more than one week's salary in the bank when they retire. That means 90% of the people in America, when they get to retirement age, they got one week's salary in the bank, one week. Wow. Is that awesome or is that awesome? Hey, that's not me. I didn't live there. I served the Lord. I did what God said. I invested. I tithed. I give abundantly. And I think of what I had the privilege to do. You know? I mean, I had enough money when I got out. When I, when I retired, I had enough money in my investments to buy my son a piece of land, build him an 11,000-square-foot building and equip it with everything and pay cash for all of it. I set him up in business, and now he's going great guns. He's living way beyond where the average 30-year-old young man lives because I set him up in business. Now that he's going to take that, and he's going to capitalize on that, and he's going to do the same thing for his children. But he's serving God just like I did. My son is serving the Lord. He's going to church. He's tithing. He's doing everything right. And God is blessing his socks off. Hey, a righteous man prepares for his children and his grandchildren. The righteous man. We're supposed to walk in obedience to the word. The soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. You like that, Deborah? Yes, I like that too. Don't you? Does it pay good dividends to be diligent? Absolutely. To serve God. I love it. A righteous man hates lying. There should be no lies in us. But a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. We see a lot of those in the police force, don't we? You see a lot of those kind of people. I mean, I'm not talking about that work for the police department. I'm talking about you guys see a lot of these kind of guys. A wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. Wow, how unfortunate. Just like that young man he's talking about. 300 and something years you said he was sentenced to prison. 396 years. Wow. His sin paid good price, good dividends, didn't it? Wow. Listen to this one in the next one in chapter 14. This is a great one. Every wise woman... Every wise woman builds her house. But the foolish plucks it down with her hands. You think it would be pay good dividends, ladies, to become a wise woman of God and build your house? Yes. You've got to obey God and serve Him And read his word and do what he says. And if you do what he says, you're a wise woman. And you will build your home. And your husband will be blessed. And he will honor you and love you. Every wise woman. There's a lot of wise women in the world. And there's a lot of them that's not too wise. We see lots of them both ways. He that walketh in his uprightness fears the Lord. Are you afraid of God? Yeah. <laughs> if you say, no, I'm not afraid of him. <laughs> Woo! Let me tell you, you don't really have to fear God as long as you're walking in obedience to his word. Because he's daddy and he loves you. But that's just like a child at home. The child at home don't have to be afraid of daddy as long as they're... I mean, I think about Dave's little son. He comes running up to daddy, or even, even me, as he looks at me like a grandfather. He'll come running up to my leg and hold his little arms up, and he wants me to take him up in his arms. He's not afraid of me. I'm six foot two. He's not afraid of me. Dave's tall like me, too. But he runs up, and he wants daddy. But when he does something wrong, he knows he's fixing to get that spoon on his hand or whatever. He knows he done something wrong. That's when we have to step back in fear. Especially if you see a child when they get old enough to know, really know the difference between right and wrong. They may be in there skirmishing or doing whatever, and they're fighting or whatever, and they turn around and look, and you're standing in the doorway. Fear comes all over them, doesn't it? They know they're in trouble. But if and they're having a good time and laughing and playing and nobody's doing nothing wrong and they turn and look and Daddy's standing in the door. even though He might have had a belt in his hand. Are they afraid? No. Daddy Daddy fixed put his belt on. He ain't going to do nothing to me because I ain't done nothing wrong. But if they know they've been mean and he's got that belt in their hand, it cuts them right to the heart. There's fear comes into them because they know. He that walketh in his uprightness. We still fear the Lord. We reverence him. But he that is perverse in his ways despises God. Don't want nothing to do with him. Wow. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride. But the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Look at this verse 4. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increases by the strength of the ox. Now just think. Let's look at it from an easy to understand standpoint. If you walk into a kitchen and the floor is mopped clean and there's not a dirty dish nowhere to be found, and the stove is spotless and you open the refrigerator and there ain't a spot of dirt in it nowhere it's super clean but there ain't nothing in it it's empty are you probably going to find anything to eat in that place now you can have a real nice kitchen and still have something in the refrigerator that's prepared that's ready to eat but if there's not anything messed up anywhere and never is then there ain't going to be no, I don't want to go to that house for something to eat. But once in a while, I go in there, you know, and man, there's pots and pans and stuff and stuff in the in the sink and everything's all over, and the girls are cooking all kinds of good stuff, and the smell feels good, smells good, hey, I'm going to be back in a few minutes, but the kitchen looks awful. But I know there's going to be something good, and of course, in a little while, they're going to have it all cleaned up again. But if you don't get that kitchen dirty once in a while, there ain't nothing good to eat in there, you can't, cook and not get a little bit dirty once in a while. You've got to mess up some pots and pans to cook stuff. That's the same way he's talking about here with this ox. If that stall is clean and there ain't no ox in it, you ain't got nothing to make a living with. But if you've got an oxen that you go out and plow with, you can make money, but when you bring it home at night, that stall's going to get dirty. Then you're going to have to scoop out the stuff. It's going to be some work. Cleaning out the stalls. A faithful witness will not lie. But a false witness will utter lies. Now these are things that God tells us. And these are things that God doesn't like. He tells us he hates lying. It tells us in his word he hates lying. It says, A scorner seeks wisdom and finds it not, but knowledge is easy unto him that understands. A scorner. This guy is out here looking for wisdom, but he can't find it. It does not. He's evil. He's wicked. He's doing everything wrong. He's a scorner. But he's looking for wisdom, but God's not revealing it to him. You know, the Word of God in the New Testament says, in James chapter 1, he says, if any man lacks wisdom, where can he get it? Ask who? Ask God, who gives liberally to all without finding fault. So when you stop right there, you think, anybody can ask God for wisdom and he'll give it to you. But that's not true. The rest of the verse says, but when you ask, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. So how are you going to ask in faith for something, nothing wavering? You're going to have to learn what God's will is. And when you learn what God's will is, then and only then can you ask in faith. If you know it's God's will to heal you, then you can ask in faith for healing if you need it, knowing you're going to get it. But the first thing you do before you ask, you make sure you got every sin repented of. Because you've learned that no curse comes upon you undeserved. And if what if you were going out lying once in a while? And God said, I hate liars. You're telling just a little lie. That's going to call a demon to you eventually, and you're going to come down sick. What about when God says, Do all things without grumbling or complaining. But yet you're a grumbler and a complainer. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14, he says, do all things without grumbling. Now, if you grumble, do you think that would call a demon to you? Yes, it will. If you grumble long enough, God will send a demon to you and that demon will come to you and he will make your life miserable. That's just like, think of this promise. The Lord says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is the will of God. And if you'll obey your parents, your life will be long on the earth. Now, that's with promise. Well, what if you read that on the negative side? Well, then, children, disobey your parents, and your life's going to be short on the earth. But see, people don't believe that. So people that don't respect their parents give you an example. Let's say that you have a daughter or a son, a child, that is totally rebellious to you. They don't honor you. They don't respect you. They don't do what you say, even though they may be 20 years old or 30 years old. They say, I'm grown now. I don't have to obey you. I don't have to do this. No, more. I can do anything I want to do. But that's not true. They're supposed to honor mother and father. If they don't honor you and do what God told them to do, most people would never put it together that at 30 years old, they have an automobile accident and they're injured, and they may be seriously injured, or they might even be killed. Why? Because they didn't honor mother and father. See, there's no curse comes uncostless. No curse comes causeless. There's a reason for everything. Now, we may not be able to determine what it is that causes these things, but we do know that from many places we've read today, that if we walk upright before God, he says there will be no death. That's kind of awesome, isn't it? So that means if there's no death, there's definitely no sickness, right? So I don't know about you, but I sure would like to live to be 120 years old, at least with not any sickness at all. Maybe even 130 or 40 or 50. It just depends. You know, Lord said, he says, did he say if I'll serve him and make him the most high God my dwelling place, he will satisfy me with long life? Is that what he said? So if he'll satisfy me with long life, then if I'm not satisfied at 120, then what are we going to do? We're going to go on a little further, right? And we're going to go on in good health. You know, maybe one day when you get 150. You know, but people, the average person say, good grief, 100? Nobody could live to be 100. You think like that and you ain't never going to make it. I guarantee. I mean, Abraham and Sarah didn't have their first baby till he was 100 and she was 90. Some of you girls say, Oh my gosh, I'm glad that ain't me having that baby at 90. Well, see, you don't walk in faith either. See, she walked in faith. I mean, she got pregnant at 90. Did she kind of laugh too when God said she's going to have me? He said, You laughed. She said, I did not. She lied too. Didn't she? Yes, she did. But she did conceive at 90, have a baby at 90 years of age, had a beautiful, wonderful boy. And then you talk about faith when Abraham had waited all of his life for this boy. And now then he's grown. You talk about an obedient, honoring child. He says, Abraham, take your son and sacrifice him to me. And so they went up to the mountain. And he told Isaac, he said, Daddy. Where's the sacrifice? He said, son, God will provide the sacrifice. And they get up there and put the wood out. And he says, son, you're the sacrifice. Crawl up on top of the wood. And Isaac crawled up on top of the wood. You talk about an obedient son. What kind of obedience and honoring would it take if you knew you'd been to these sacrifices, you saw what happened to that lamb that was placed on it, and you saw your daddy, you're laying there, and you see your daddy raise that knife and say, Son, I don't understand what God's going to do here, but he told me to sacrifice you. I have to obey him. And he starts down with that knife. How would you like to have been the little guy laying down there? You wouldn't like that, huh, Deborah? No. But that's when the angel reached out and stopped his hand and said, God says, now that I know that you really obey me and you love me, I'll provide the sacrifice. I don't want to be put to the test like that. Do you? No. I don't want that test. But God tested him like that. If he tested him like that, get ready. There's going to be tests in your life. And some of them you're not going to like. I know I've had some of them. I didn't like them either. But who's the boss here? He is. That's right. So we just praise him and worship him. Just think. Asking God for wisdom. This man that looks for wisdom. But he don't find it. But when you and I today. Under the New Testament. Under the New Covenant. When we ask God for wisdom. The reason we don't get it. Is because we don't ask in faith. Because he goes so far as to say there in James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, when you ask, you must ask in faith, nothing wavering. He said, if you waver, you're double-minded and unstable in all of your ways. He said, let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. So if you're double-minded and unstable, what are you going to get from God when you pray? Nothing. But when you quote his word to him and say, Lord, I'm walking in obedience to your word, and you said right here, this is what you like, and this is what I can have, so I'm asking Father, in Jesus' name for this. Now, I can thank you. It's done. Now, Lord, you said if I needed wisdom, you'll give it to me. So, Lord, I need wisdom today. I need wisdom to be about your business. I'm asking you to fill me with the spirit of wisdom, and I want to thank you, Lord, it's done, because it can't fail. He says, wow, that son, that daughter, they believe me. And so that spirit of wisdom comes and comes inside you and you can take care of the day with no problem. And the Word of God works. So don't go through a day without asking for wisdom. When you ask for it, ask in faith, believing it is done. Because you'll get it. Verse 7 says, Go from the presence of a foolish man. In other words, don't hang around foolish people. Get out of their way. Don't invite them into your home. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceives not in him the lips of knowledge. A foolish man that has no knowledge. I don't want to be around a man that don't have more knowledge or at least knowledge in areas that I don't have. Why should I waste my time with people that cannot teach me anything? You see where I'm coming from? If you'll look deep enough in people, you will never meet a person that's not your master in some area. They will know something you don't know. But you need to find what that is, and if what they have is you can use it, then it's okay. You can get that information from them. But if they don't train themselves and they're a foolish person, and they're not willing to learn and have this knowledge and be able to share it with you, if they're not going to do that, you need to put yourself distance from that person. You don't need to be around them. If all they do is foolish things, they will lead you astray. That's why that Jesus, every time he went in to do a miracle, did he take believers and unbelievers with him? Who did He take with Him? Only believers. And He always chose a select few. He didn't invite the multitude in. He chose a very select few men to go with Him. Men of faith. Men of faith. And when they, those men of faith supposedly that walked with Him, His disciples, when they couldn't get something done, He was not too nice to them. He really reprimanded them. Something simple like this. Oh, you perverse and wicked bunch. How long am I going to have to put up with the likes of you? You couldn't cast out that little demon? Bring the boy to me. Wow. wonder what he'd say to us today. I don't think I want to hear it, do you? No, I don't want to hear what he'd have to say to me. Wow. The king expects you and I to be just like him. Striving, studying, working, seeking that wisdom, knowledge, walking holy in obedience to his word, going by steps every day. He doesn't expect us ever to stay on a flat and level plane. He expects us to be climbing that set of stairs to where he's at. To becoming just like him every day. Reading his word, studying his word. I had a man ask me here a while back. I said, who do you study under? Whose books do you read? I said, well, anymore, I've got to where I only read the Word of God. Hardly ever do I read somebody else's book. But the Word is where I want my training. Because I want to be trained by the best. Now then, if a man is not winning anybody to Jesus, I'm not interested in what he has to teach me. If he's not getting anybody healed, I'm not interested in what he's got to teach about healing. If he's not casting out any demons, I'm not interested in what he has to teach. But if the man is a very powerful man in salvation and leading thousands of people to Jesus, I want to study under him. I want to see what he's doing that's bringing this multitude to Christ. Or if the man's getting multitudes of people healed. And I want to go listen. I can learn from that man. I want to study under men that have great knowledge that spent time with God. If they don't see God do nothing, I'm not interested. I don't want, I don't want to waste my time going and sitting in a church that I'm not fed. I want to be able to go away feeling challenged. I want And I'll tell you one that will always challenge you. Jesus will always challenge you. You get into the Word and read that Word, He will challenge you. You will see what He commands you to do. And that's where we want to walk. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand His way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Father, we praise you, Lord, for your beautiful word. The depth of these teachings in the book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom that's beyond our wildest dreams. Father, continue to reveal to us from your word the things you put in there, so we can hear and see and act upon these things and do these things. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you for godly men and women that you send that we can learn from. That's all around us. Lord, help us, each one of us, to be that godly man and woman, that we can be an example to other brothers and sisters around us as we go, that we can be able to share the word with them and show them with a demonstration of your Spirit's power that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of God. Thank you, Father, for the word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. And thank you, Lord, as we go this week. May you use us mightily to bring glory and honor to your name. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.